I am all for paying to market to new customers, but I'll never be able to wrap my mind around paying for our own diners. Why should we have to pay cover fees? It's like getting penalized for being busy. That's why I'm a huge fan of Yelp Guest Manager. It's a reservation and waitlist system connected to a diner network nine times larger than Open Table, and they never charge cover fees. Learn about their new $99 per month plan for newly opened restaurants at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast or call 877-571-9357 and tell them full comp sent you. Now here we go. I think that the most important thing that we can do for the survival of this industry is to hearken back to that moment and realize that we're stronger together. And if we unite our voices, we can create change so that this is a more sustainable, healthy industry, not just for the folks that own restaurants, but for everybody who is in restaurants or benefiting from restaurants. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. One of the blessings that was born from the pandemic was the Independent Restaurant Coalition. A group of less than two dozen restaurateurs came together to advocate for all of us. And it was through their efforts that over $20 billion was distributed to independent restaurants. But as the fight for survival ends and the fight to thrive begins, we sit down with the IRC's CEO, Eric Palmar, to discuss what's next for the coalition and for our industry at large. a chef. I'm not a restaurateur. I came to the IRC because for 20 years I've been having dinners in Oregon to reconnect eaters with the people and places that grow and raise their food. And in doing so, I got myself into some trouble with land use planning boards, and that made me sort of a policy nerd. So when Oregon was shutting down, Chefs in Oregon that I'd worked with over the past two decades reached out and said, hey, we need help. You know a thing or two about getting in touch with the governor. You know a little bit about policy. Can you help us? And that led to me participating in the call that would lead to the creation of the IRC. And I served as a volunteer for the first few months and then was asked to serve in the role I'm in now. That's a big jump. Yeah. What inspired you to take on that role? I mean, it seems like a wonderful role to take on at a terrible time, right? So I'm the type of person that runs into a fire, much like chefs and restaurateurs, right? When there's a crisis in your community, you step in and you try and figure out how to help. And so that is sort of in my DNA. I've been involved in, you know, if we dig Back into my professional life, I have experience in marketing and communication and organizing and holding events. So it seems like a huge jump, but all of the accumulated skills and the relationships that I've created over these many decades and my willingness to say yes, make me a great fit for the job. I'm not a professional lobbyist either. (laughs) (laughs) And then how would you describe the origin of the Independent Restaurant Coalition in those early days? How was it created? How did it evolve? So on March 18th of 2020, 18 chefs, restaurateurs, and two of us that weren't directly connected to the industry got on a phone call. There was an awareness in the industry, as you know, that this wasn't going to be good. 
We kept hearing, oh, it's going to be a short-term closure, but we were watching what was happening around the world. We're also seeing at that time Washington, D.C. doing things like creating the payroll protection plan, which really gave no consideration to something like a restaurant where you can't have your employees working if you don't have people dining with you. So it came out of the industry turning inward on that day and trying to figure out how we were going to support one another. Within a few days, we went from 18 to 50 to 100. And now we're a network of over 150,000 people that are committed to supporting this industry and working towards change. Have you given any thought, because I certainly have, as to why the IRC would even need to exist? Every community has independent restaurants. And every community has watched independent restaurants open and close on a regular basis forever, right? So I think to a large degree, people have to know that it's not a particularly easy job and that success only comes to the few, not to the many. There are so many hurdles to overcome. But the sheer need for the IRC, for me, shows that there was a massive delta between what people understood and where we were as an industry, which is shocking to me, considering the fact that we're one of the largest employers on the planet. So we are, and you're in hospitality. We don't ever let anybody see us in the weeds. We don't ever tell anybody what's happening below the surface. One of our board members likes to say we're like ducks. We're really pretty and gliding along the top of the water, but you don't see us paddling like hell underneath. And so as the public and folks in policy have seen for decades, we're always there. We are, as I said, always the first to step up in the time of crisis, but we never let them know when we're hurting. So the Independent Restaurant Coalition really came about because of this crisis, but it also empowered independent restaurants and bars across the country to say, this is what we need from you in order to continue contributing to communities as we have been. There are numerous policies that folks have worked on, maybe quietly in their local community. Maybe it's an issue with a liquor board. Maybe it's an issue with building permits. But never before have we united our voices as one and really taken on the bigger issues. And of course, we started that with saying independent restaurants and bars need support from this pandemic. And, you know, we've lost revenue. We need some financial support. You've bailed out big industries like automobile manufacturers and banks and airlines. Don't forget, we're also an incredibly large employer. And they all got money. They all got as much money as they needed. And then I look at our collective inability to get government relief as an industry, at least in the capacity that we need it. And it's alarming. It's still alarming to this day. It's still alarming that there's so much money still in reserve that hasn't been doled out to independent restaurants. What lessons have you taken away from that? Well, if you were interviewing somebody in the airline industry, they would say they didn't get enough money either. So let's just start there. Nobody ever thinks that they've gotten enough. Now we, the Independent Restaurant Coalition, led the effort to create the Restaurant Revitalization Fund, and we asked for $120 billion. That was a number that we identified through piecing together reports, doing a, the first ever economic impact study on independent restaurants and bars. And we were lucky to have congressional champions, both parties, both chambers saying, yes, we know you need this. Unfortunately, the federal government is a really strange place. And just like restaurants, it operates on relationships. And because independents have not been advocating for themselves for decades and decades and decades, we had to start those relationships from scratch. 
And I think it took us longer to create awareness and educate lawmakers. And I think that's one of the contributing factors to what you see now, which was instead of $120 billion, we received $28.6 billion. And I also think as much as we were saying, the sky is falling, this industry is on the verge of extinction, legislators were going back to their communities and seeing restaurants open and what they perceived as full. And so what we were saying and what they were seeing wasn't lining up. Do you feel like there's a parallel between kind of what you said, like the way the general public sees us and the way that the federal government sees us? Are we not telling our story effectively enough? I think before the pandemic, we weren't. I think since the beginning of 2020, when uh, we all said, okay, I need to peel the curtain back and show people how our business really operates and talk about how thin our profit margins are and talk about how much we contribute to the economy. Before 2020, I don't think that the public or legislators, and obviously our legislators are members of the public, right? Like that's where they came from. They didn't understand the difference between an independent restaurant putting almost 90 cents, if not more, of every dollar that they earn back into the economy versus the local chain restaurant that's only putting 60 cents of every dollar back in. So no, there was a huge educational obstacle and awareness to create around both how we operate, what the pandemic did, and what the long-term changes are that we need in order to do business. Do you think over the last two and a half years, We've effectively created the parallel in people's minds between investment in independent restaurants is an investment in your local community. Do they see the impact that we make? I think they see it a lot more now than they did then, but I still think we have work to do. When you look back over the lifespan of the IRC, what are some of the biggest wins that come to mind? So first of all, let's just start with the fact that I'm still living in Groundhog Day When we talk about two and a half years, when I hear somebody else say it, it sort of sinks in that it has been this long. It feels like it's been forever and no time at all, all wrapped up at once. I think the biggest win of all is that independent restaurants and bars across the country have learned that if we unite our voices, we can create change. And I don't think that that's something that you ever lose. You don't just put that back on a shelf and forget about it, right? We did not fully succeed in our mission. I'm going to completely own that. You know, we asked for 120 billion, we got 28.6. It only serviced one third of the folks that applied for funding. However, there are a lot of other things that happened financially during the pandemic that continued to stoke the desire to keep fighting and be louder. And I think that coming together as a community in this moment of crisis is a really incredible and beautiful thing. And I hope it continues even outside of crisis. Have we given up on additional federal funding for independent restaurants? We do not anticipate the restaurant revitalization fund being replenished. We do know that there is $180 million that the Small Business Administration has been holding on to. We also know that there has been money that's been reclaimed through fraudulent activities. And we are still fiercely advocating that that 180 is distributed and that any reclaimed funds are also distributed. But we have heard from the Senate repeatedly that they are not going to invest more in this particular fund. Do you see other opportunities like so many other industries? And I think it's because they have 
lobbyists actively involved. They have tax incentives and rebates and all of these different things. Do you guys roadmap that stuff out as well? So the Independent Restaurant Coalition does have uh, lobbyists. So let's just be super clear and honest about that. There is no way that we could do this work just as individuals. Unfortunately, that's not how the government works at this point. Since the Restaurant Revitalization Fund work we've been going on, we've also been working on bringing back the employee retention tax credit. That's something that definitely helped put money in bank accounts. It was eliminated for the fourth quarter of 2021. And it was used for what the government calls a pay for in another program. We've been advocating to bring that back so that retroactively you could file those claims. We expect to see, we hope to see that taken up in a tax package at the end of 2020. We are working to change credit card swipe fees. Not to get too nerdy, but credit card swipe fees are a very anti-competitive market where there are two banks that are actually processing 80% of those transactions. And you as a restaurateur don't have the opportunity to pick and choose so that you're not getting the best rate. And I've heard from a number of restaurateurs that their credit card fees are, or their swipe fees are right below their labor line and their food line. Next up is credit cards. So we are fiercely working to advocate for changes in that space so that we can reduce those expenses We are working on labor and immigration issues because what's the other thing we keep talking about? We don't have staff. And it drives me absolutely bonkers to hear people say, oh, people don't want to work anymore. I think this is another place where we have a gap in understanding of how restaurants work and how we employ. You know, when restaurants were closed for the better part of a year and employment was unstable, people couldn't just sit around and wait. They had to go find work. And so now we have this knowledge gap and we have a gap of staff and we need to figure out how to bring people into the industry, an industry that has been America's favorite first job. So it makes great sense to me that if you're a new citizen of this country, if you're a new arrival in this country, let's get you started in restaurants. We have a great path to career advancement. Outside of our industry, there was a groundswell of support, especially in the early days of the pandemic. Everybody was fighting to save independent restaurants. And kind of like with masking and everything else, fatigue sets in and people get distracted and focused on other things. How do you think or what strategies are you guys employing to help rebuild that groundswell of support from the population and build more momentum? I think the first place we have to start to build support is from the industry in and of itself. As a result of that labor shortage, a lot of folks who were advocating ferociously every day, who were telling us what they needed from the government, went back to work with more intensity than ever before. Their head down, they are struggling to pay the bills or they're struggling to cover labor and they're working a lot. They just frankly don't have time to to poke their heads up and say, hey, I'm going to call my congressperson today, or hey, Independent Restaurant Coalition, here's an issue that's really impacting my business. So my big plea to anybody that's listening today is see if you can make advocacy a part of your routine. Even if it's 20 minutes a week, it would make a huge impact on the community as a whole and on your business. So whether that's calling your legislators to tell them what's important to you, advocating for something that we are already fighting for, or getting in touch with us and letting us know about what you need so that we can put a plan together and include it in our roadmap so that we can start building those plans. Now, the public becomes about us doing that education. 
and being as loud and as unified as we were in the beginning of 2020 today. We need to work together to make sure that we don't completely show folks the duck paddling under the water, but maybe give them a little more of an inkling. Nobody wants to walk up to a table and say, oh my God, you cannot believe that my fryer oil has gone up 75% in the past three months. But maybe there's a way that you can start delivering those messages in your restaurant so that the public understands what you're up against. And we will continue to do that at the IRC in a more public forum, anything from media stories to social media coverage to a series that we've started online. We're starting little Instagram lives that you'll start seeing here in the next few weeks, a series called Heard, where we will be showing folks what it's like to do business in a restaurant or sharing other knowledge that independent restaurateurs and bars have so that the public gets to know them a little better. Seeing what was possible and going from good to great, you're gonna learn something. Hearing different perspectives from different people in the group have inspired ideas or concepts that I've used since then that there's no way I would have ever come up with on my own. You pull it out of us as much as possible. When the well is dry, you pour a bucket in there and then tell us, now get it out. We could have been just as lost as when we started if all we got was, here's how to do it, go. These folks are independent restaurateurs, just like you, but they have one massive advantage that you don't. They have a proven plan. I'm launching my next restaurant marketing mastermind that brings together 12 owners and operators looking to massively scale revenue by working with me and by working with each other. This mastermind is so effective, we offer a money back guarantee. So if you're interested in scaling your restaurant's revenue with a program that is guaranteed to work, apply today at restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. Again, that's restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. You might think being on the line and filling those tickets is the thing you need to do for your restaurant, but every burger you make is a marketing call or video that you didn't make to drive more sales into your restaurant to make things better. In an effort to support independent restaurants, you developed a peer-to-peer support system that runs across the country. What help do you see independent restaurants needing in this moment? So let's talk about this this notion of a peer-to-peer support network. The way that that's been discussed broadly is makes it sound like I've got an incredible peer support program and I can immediately plug you into someone. I just want to be completely transparent. That is not the case. Maybe in a year it will be, but right now, the way our peer-to-peer support working is very much the way our board is working. Someone comes to us or comes to a board member or comes to a member and says, I need help with. Maybe that's the I do my payroll myself. I understand that I can apply for employee retention tax credit. I haven't done it. I think the forms are really confusing. Can you help me? We may just pair them with another operator who is in the similar position who can walk them through it because they've done that work themselves. Or we might say, hey, we have this accounting firm that has offered support. Let me connect you. Let me make the introduction so that you can get the support at no cost to get you going in the right direction. Honestly, one of the biggest things that we hear from the industry right now is mental health. And so to address that, we have a number of resources. We've put a list of resources on our website where you can receive free or low cost support. Anybody that's an independent restaurant coalition member has access to betterhelp.com at no charge for at least a month. And then we've also become this place where 
if I get a text that says, I'm really struggling today, not only am I talking to that person, which makes some folks crazy that that's how I'm spending my time, but I will do it every damn day. But I'm able to like connect them to other people in their community or find them the support that they need or direct them to somebody that maybe has the emergency financial support that they need. So it is peer-to-peer support, but really it's a community that's in relationship with one another in a way that before the pandemic, we weren't. Maybe we were locally Maybe your neighbors were looking out for you. Maybe you had a couple of confidants in your community, but now there's this national network. So maybe you don't want to tell your neighbor that you need help paying your home utility bills, but you're comfortable telling somebody outside of the city and we can connect you to a resource that can help you pay those bills so that you can worry about one less thing. So that's not something that people expect from a trade association, I don't think. But it is one of the things that has set the Independent Restaurant Coalition apart is the care that this community has for one another. And it's so important. I was recently reading Steve Jobs' biography, and he talks about over and over again, I was in this situation and I asked for help. I couldn't figure this out, so I asked for help. I needed financing. I mean, he went to Bill Gates for financing at one point. It just shows how willing this guy was to ask for help. And it is, I would argue, one of the largest hurdles we face is an industry is simply asking for help, relying on each other. Every independent restaurateur, in my mind, is an expert at something. And if what they're an expert in is something that you are not an expert in, they can add value to your life. Which kind of brings me to the next point, which is looking inwardly. And I think mental health is a great place to start. But as an industry, there's a lot of work that we need to do. There are a lot of poor choices, right? There were so many poor choices that we made at scale as an industry for decades, if not hundreds of years, that we now have the opportunity to undo. So I wanted to ask from your vantage point, what are the improvements foundationally that you're seeing in the industry, better choices that independents are making on a daily basis? to improve their lives? And then also where you still see room for improvement, where you see backslide. I'm going to start with the caveat of, I am not in a restaurant myself. Right? So everything that I am sharing is what I am hearing from people that are doing this daily. And so my response may be different from somebody who is in a kitchen every day. What I have seen changed dramatically in the past two years that did exist before, but is now the popular thing to do, for lack of a better word. We're all talking about it. And I don't mean popular in a trite way. It's not like, oh, this is an influencer habit that's going to go away. We've always valued our teams, but the way that we are nurturing our teams, the way that we are mentoring our teams, the way that we are compensating our teams changed dramatically during the pandemic. And I think that that is on a spectrum. You have different wage and compensation models depending on where you are in the country and different wage and compensation based on whether you received a restaurant revitalization fund grant or not and how many locations and all of those things. But where we used to see this really broad spectrum, I think that this it's now sort of tipping towards one side of saying, my team is my most valuable asset. My team is the thing I will guard with my life. My team will be prioritized. And 
If a member of my team decides that they're going to move on, I'm not going to bemoan that. I'm going to celebrate that. And again, that's an investment. It's a mental health investment. It's an investment in community. It's an investment in relationship. But if you are nurturing and supporting teams in that way, only good will happen. So Eric Williams spoke on a, an event we did last week, and he talked about how in a time of crisis, whether it's your staff or whether it's your community, you need to be present and you need to be engaged. And he was speaking as a restaurateur in Chicago who was saying in the beginnings of this, we were all worried about whether we were going to be looted. But if we're in community and we're engaged, nobody's going to loot the restaurant that is supporting them. And I think when you look at that even further and you talk about that with employees and the rest of your community and your relationship with vendors and on and on and on down the line, you're creating a more healthy environment, not just for the people in those four walls, but it expands beyond. And that's maybe a little too woo-woo for saying this is what we need to do. But we look at restaurants as being such an integral part of our community, right? We are buying from farmers and supporting them. We are paying our landlords. We're employing people. We're the first place you come if your little league needs funding or your school event needs something. If we're not healthy inside our own four walls, we can't be that part of a community. I would also assume that as someone that's been attached to the industry, but somewhat separate, that you probably have an interesting perspective on a macro level. When I was able to step out of day-to-day operations and look at the industry as a whole, my life, my businesses included, uh, it was really easy to see what the problem was, which is we don't have any money. You know, we talk about the profit margin is maybe 6% on a good day, and that's gone. For the people that are making money, yes, they're making money at a rate of about 6%. (laughs) What other industry would have survived as long as independents have? 100%. And when you look at this model, regardless of industry, what you see is everyone that's making 6% is grossing billions of dollars, right? Because it's got to be a high volume, low margin business. But this is a low volume, low margin business. And I'm curious to know, in the circles that you run in, do you talk about that? Do you talk about you know, 6% is unacceptable. And I know we can't sell a burger for $30, but like a 20% net shouldn't be aspirational. So here's one of the things we talk about all the time. And we do talk about profit. It's a dirty thing to say, right? People say, oh, well, can this coalition go out there and say that restaurants need to be profitable? And yeah, we can, because if we're not profitable, we can't do any of the other things that we want to do. And we're not saying be profitable at the expense of somebody else, but this is where education comes in too, because Nobody should be paying $5 for five roast beef sandwiches. Somebody's getting hurt in that equation. Okay. And so there are a whole bunch of steps to getting to that place. But the first step is education. Okay. Let's talk about what is on your plate. Let's talk about how it got there. Let's talk about the farmer that grew your tomato. And I'm an Oregonian, so forgive me, but. We're not going to talk about calling the chicken, but really you should know that, you know, yes, we ran out of that menu item because there was a cold snap and there's a limited availability of that product. And because there's a limited availability of the product, the forces of market will make that product more expensive. So yes, my menu item that you've loved for $12 is now $14. And this is why. And we've never been comfortable talking about that, I don't think, except for things like on Portlandia, where we're talking about bios of chickens. And I think we need to 
move into that space where we talk about the cost of living and we stop saying, oh my gosh, it's inflation and price gouging. Prices stem from something. And let's talk about where they're coming from. And let's make sure that we understand that we let the public understand that independent restaurants aren't price gouging and how your dollar is being spent. And that's one of many things. There's this huge disparity between like reality and the perception of reality. If you own a gorgeous restaurant, people assume you own a gorgeous home. I can flash back to the early days of the pandemic. And I remember seeing an Eater article that was talking about the devastation within independent restaurants. And someone actually commented, obviously anonymously, that these people are rich. No one should be concerned with independent restaurateurs, especially in fine dining. They've made a fortune off this community for years. And it's, I, I agree with you, and the theme has come up multiple times in this conversation. It's about storytelling, and it's about storytelling consistently. And here's the hurdle I want to talk to you about. It's about storytelling in a way that will resonate with your audience. That doesn't feel like complaining. One of the most vivid memories I have as a restaurateur is I walked up to it. It was like a 24 top. It was a large party, and they wanted to split the bill like a thousand ways on credit cards. And so I told them, you know, we only allow a split maximum of four ways. I'm so sorry. It was in the contract that you signed. And he's like, well, why? And I said, because, you know, we get dinged credit card fees for every transaction. And he stopped me and he goes, listen, man, I don't care about how you run your business and how my dinner impacts your business. I just care about my dinner and being able to pay the way I want to pay. And it struck me and it stuck with me for years. I mean, that probably happened five years ago. But it was because of my failure, my inability to share what was important to me and what mattered to me in a way that would resonate with that gentleman. And I think it's so representative of the struggle that we have. People care, kind of, and they like having us around. And I think that they would be really disappointed if there was an Applebee's on every corner and there weren't independent restaurants. But it's that messaging. And so I'm curious to know, you work with so many independents. Has anyone found messaging that resonates? There will not be one message. Let's just talk about that 24 top for a minute, which just makes my heart hurt. But if that 24 top's in LA versus if it's in Topeka versus if it's in Miami, there's not one message that is going to speak to that group that's going to span all of the areas. So what we as the Independent Restaurant Coalition have done is tried to create messages and confidence in delivering your messages. So you you all have different menus, you all have different styles in your dining rooms. So we want to give you the tools and the resources so that you can tweak your messaging just enough to resonate that with them. So that's in your restaurant. In the halls where policies are made, that's a different story. So we had very clear talking points as we advocated for restaurants during the Restaurant Revitalization Fund. And we have very clear talking points that have evolved as we move into things like advocating for the EIDL program to be turned back on or the employee retention tax credits to be turned back on. And in that realm, it all comes back to the role that restaurants play in the economic health of our communities. Now, your diner your 24 top doesn't give a damn about the economic health of the community. He wants to know why you're going to say no to him, right? So two different realms, but you depend on something. Storytelling is absolutely critical. And one of the challenges is 
making sure that people understand that independent restaurants aren't necessarily Michelin starred restaurants. Independent restaurants are your favorite sandwich shop down the street. They're your, your favorite ice cream parlor that you go to after your kids do well at Little League or the place you go to get the burger on a family night or the slice of pizza. Those are all independent restaurants. And let me tell you, a lot of those independent restaurant owners lost their homes during the pandemic because their entire lives were collateral for their business. And I don't know how we delivered that message tactfully or politely or in a way that isn't me screaming it from the rooftops. I haven't figured that out yet. Let's talk about something a little lighter. I want to talk about Between the Lines. Can you tell me what the show is and what it's about? Sure. The first episode of Between the Lines features Chef Dan Jacobs from Milwaukee. He owns Dan Dan and Esther Ebb interviewing IRC co-founder Will Gadara, who's recently released a book called Unreasonable Hospitality. This is an opportunity for the IRC members to have a conversation much in the style of between two ferns with just a, a little more polite to really talk to people that inspire them or who have innovated the industry. We'll be attempting to do about six of these a year. I wanted to do them monthly, but that's asking a lot of folks. So these episodes will be broadcast on Instagram. They'll also live on our website. So you can scroll through and find them as you'd like. Our first, as I said, is Unreasonable Hospitality. Our second is with Steve Palmer, the author of Say Grace, who talks about addiction and conquering your demons and how being in the industry actually helped him move beyond them. So I think in the spirit of mental health, that's going to be a really exciting conversation. We are just starting this program. We're always open to suggestions and ideas. So if if your listeners have somebody they've always wanted to get to know a little bit more outside of a restaurant or somebody that's written something that they want to know more about, we always welcome those suggestions. And so I want to round out by asking, what can we do? There are literally hundreds of thousands of people listening. Everyone is an independent restaurant owner or operator. How can we support the efforts of the IRC to support ourselves? Join us. First and foremost, I welcome any independent restaurant owner or bar owner to become a member of the Independent Restaurant Coalition. Our membership rates are very low. They're on a sliding scale based on revenue. By becoming a member, you have an opportunity to access the resources that we have. You can have a direct conversation with a lobbyist if you'd like. If you need some advice, you're quickly connected to the resources that we have. And most importantly, you're bringing your issues to the fore and adding them to our strategic plan so that we make sure that we're advocating for the entire industry. So first and foremost, I invite everyone that's listening to become a member of the IRC by visiting our website. Very easy process. And we would love to have you as members. Uh, Not ready to become a member? Sign up for our newsletters. We don't spam you. We send about two newsletters a month. One is more focused on policy issues, so you'll have the talking points that you need to join in our advocacy work. And the other will let you know about fun things like Between the Lines and other events that we're doing that are educational and our resources. And so if you sign up for our mailing list, my goal is that you discover that we are bringing value to your daily operations and that we are helping you move out of that, oh my God, this is really a hard industry to feeling like you're supported in some way. And hopefully, 
continue to keep independent restaurants and bars alive across the country because without you, there is no IRC. The restaurant industry is filled with unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? One of the reasons that there has not been an independent restaurant coalition in the past is because we are all so fiercely independent. And during the course of the pandemic, we saw restaurant reviewers ditch star ratings. We saw them soften a bit and be more human. And we saw folks that may have been competitors become collaborators. I think that the most important thing that we can do for the survival of this industry is to hearken back to that moment and realize that we're stronger together. And if we unite our voices, we can create change so that this is a more sustainable, healthy industry, not just for the folks that own restaurants, but for everybody who is in restaurants or benefiting from restaurants. That's Erica Palmar. For more information on the IRC, visit independentrestaurantcoalition.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.